Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Crossover Across Time podcast for our Tuesday show for week 22. Uh, today's date, March 14th of 2023. It's uh, a Pi Day, right? What? That's right. It's Pi Day. <laughs> Happy Pi Day, everyone. Um, I don't know if I don't know what you're really supposed to do with that. I mean, you go go buy a pie, or I guess you can get a pizza pie if you want to be all creative with it. But yeah, and do a little math. <laughs> do some math there you go just <laughs> just for kicks but um no it's good to be here of course yes i'm your main host carson i'm joined on a tuesday by my co-host and good friend wyatt how are you doing today wyatt doing good it's gonna fill uh one day off for the rest of the week because i am traditionally on monday show <laughs> <laughs> that's true yeah <laughs> if you didn't catch last night's show uh basically we just had kind of a scheduling Thing. I had something come up last minute. I didn't plan ultra well around that. And I kind of had to do the show without Wyatt because I didn't give him a lot of time to really. Anyways, long story, but he's back here on a Tuesday. We'll do it. We'll have him on Tuesday's show for this week. And then next week, we'll probably go back to Monday. But yeah, that'll. I didn't think about that. I guess that with it becoming <laughs> part of your routine, you yeah. know, that's kind of throw off your week a little bit. But uh... <laughs> it's okay. It just, it'll just be fun to see how Tuesdays go. There you go. Get a little different twist on the podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe you'll find, oh, I like Tuesday a lot better. Or yeah, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> guess we'll see what happens. But um, yeah, we'll go ahead and uh, get started. We with our you know game summaries, last night's games, and what we'll do for today's show is uh, we're going to go back and forth. I'm going to cover the first game. Why we'll then cover the second game, and we're going to bounce back and forth off each other through those games, and then at the end of it. Uh, we're going to kind of revisit, see if there's anything we wanted to talk a little bit more in depth on. Uh, so that's how our game summaries are going to go. And I will get us started off with the first game of last night's action, the Detroit Pistons defending home court against the Indiana Pacers, uh, 117 to 97 classic central division matchup there. Kind of surprising to see the Pistons win this game by 20 points, uh, especially how much they've struggled and, and the Pacers have been, you know, a little bit better than the Pistons all around this season, but, you know, credit to the Pistons. Uh, looks like James Wiseman in particular had a great game, and that actually ends the the Pistons. They had an 11-game losing streak up to that point, which I guess in that aspect, it makes sense. You know, if you've lost 11 straight, you're, you're pretty anxious to get that win and break that streak. Um, right. You look at the flow of this game, Pistons led by as much as 31 points in the second quarter. Uh, Pacers cut it down to begin the third and then the Pistons, you know, built that lead back up. They never really looked back at that point for the Pacers. Uh, they were without Tyrese Halliburton or um, let's see. Yeah. No Halliburton, no uh, Benedict Matherin. Instead, they were led by Jordan Wara's 20 points coming off the bench in 31 minutes of game action. Uh, four of their five starters scored in double figures as well. Um, not really a huge depth of scoring for the Pacers. Meanwhile, the Pistons, uh, we mentioned James Wiseman. He had 18 points and 14 rebounds along with three blocks, uh, showing that potential that made him the second or third overall pick. I forget which exactly, but one of the top picks in his draft just a few years ago. Um, leading scorer for the Pistons, though, was Corey Joseph. Uh, he had 22 points off the bench, similar to Jordan Awara's 20 off the bench for the Pacers. He also grabbed five rebounds, five assists. Uh, Jalen Duran back in action, 12 points, 11 rebounds, two blocks off the bench. Uh, and the Pistons, they had seven guys in total that had 10 or more points, and they get a nice win to break that uh, drought, that winning drought against the Indiana Pacers. Uh, Wyatt, what have we got for our next game? So our next game was Minnesota Timberwolves playing in Atlanta against the Hawks. This was not a super close game. The Timberwolves ended up winning by 21 points, and they led almost the entire game. The first quarter was a little closer than the rest of the game, and there was two lead changes where uh, the Hawks briefly gained the lead but then immediately lost it, and the Timberwolves led by as much as 28 at one point during this game. Uh, Really kind of a good performance by Minnesota. I kind of expected this game to be a little closer as they're both kind of middle of the pack teams. Um, But it looks like 
there was just some killer defense on the side of the Timberwolves. They had a t- total of 10 blocks. Uh, so that's that's pretty impressive for them. Uh, well, I mean, for any team, not necessarily yeah. for them, considering <laughs> Rudy Gobert. You know, you got Rudy Gobert and Carl Anthony Towns in the center. It's a little more expected, but great job mm-hmm. by them. Uh, if we go ahead and look at the players here, the Timberwolves were led by a one Kyle Anderson. Um, oh, that's incorrect. Anthony Edwards led in points, thirty-two well, I, points. I'd say they kind of they, they kind of co-led, but in some different ways, maybe. Right? Yeah. Uh, Anthony Edwards. Or Kyle Ander- Anderson had the greatest plus-minus score of all of the people on their team. He did some really great things, uh, you know, 10 rebounds, 12 assists, uh, and 14 points. So not a bad night shooting 50% from the three, but only only attempted uh, two. So I guess that's not crazy <laughs> out of this world, <laughs> <laughs> but... Uh, yeah, so we had Kyle Anderson with 14, and Rudy Gobert also had 14. Anthony Edwards had 32, and Mike Conley had 21. And then Jaden McDaniels had 19. Mm-hmm. Luca Garza had 14 off the bench. And that rounds out the players in, in double digits, so six total for them. Uh, those blocks, if you're curious where those blocks all came from, they're pretty spread out. Gobert did have three, which is to be expected Mm. um and then there were two from Jaden mcdaniels two from kyle anderson and two from anthony edwards and is carl anthony towns injured right now or did he yeah no he's he still has um he's been missing a lot of time i think they're hoping to get him back within the next few weeks but he, okay. hasn't, he hasn't played most of the season. so. Gotcha. I was going to say, it. I haven't like seen anything about him since very early on in the season. Mm. Um, well, that's too bad. Hopefully he gets back soon. Okay, jumping to the Hawks. So the Hawks were led by Trey Young, of course, with 41 points. Um, and then they had a few other guys in double digits DeAndre Hunter with 15 Clint Capella with 10 DeJounte Murray with 11 and then off the bench I'm gonna slaughter this name Onyeka Okongwu pretty close um with 16 and that rounds up the the Hawks scoring taking a look at Trey Young's stats he had uh, six rebounds, seven assists, a steal, and he shot 25% from three uh, and then 10 for 10 from the free throw line. So good job with the free throws, Trey. 60% from from the field. So pretty good night for Trey Young. Did all that in just under 34 minutes. So impressive night for Trey. Uh, just needs to strengthen up the people around him a little bit kind of a rough night for john collins only six points so mm. you know hopefully we see that change a little bit here going forward for the hawks yeah absolutely well and that keys a little bit into the struggles he's had this season definitely has regressed in his play mm-hmm. um just a side note we mentioned carl anthony towns uh i got the specifics pulled up for us it looks like our last kind of update on Carl Anthony Towns was about a month ago at this point, uh, mid-February. They expected him to be out another three or four weeks at that point. So hopefully he can return within the next week or two, but um, I'm sure we'll get further updates on that. So um, yeah, with that, I guess let's jump to that next game. Um, The Utah Jazz losing on the road. Uh, What was us against the Miami Heat? (laughs) 119 to 115. Uh, back and forth game throughout this one, eight, uh, 17 lead changes, excuse me. The largest lead was held by a Miami, but that was in the first quarter. After that, no team led by more than 10 points throughout those lead changes, which were second quarter onward. Um, Miami ended up winning by 
just a few points, of course. Um, tough loss for Utah, good win for Miami as they continue to try and solidify their playoff positioning in a very competitive Eastern Conference. For the Utah Jazz, uh, Larry Markkinen did the things you'd kind of expect from him, 38 points, 8 rebounds, uh, but he also racked up 3 steals, which was kind of surprising. Hasn't been a, you know, stellar defender, not a terrible defender either, but uh, nice to see those kind of stats from him. He was 6 of 12 from 3-point range, shooting 50%. Very impressive there, especially some of the uh, struggling percentages he's had in recent games. Uh, we also had... Uh, we, showing my bias there, off the bench, the Jazz had uh, 23 points, a new career high for Simone Fontecchio, uh, the rookie, one of the older rookies uh, from Italy. 23 points, five rebounds. He was five of 11 from three-point range, similar to Mark and getting that green light from three. Uh, those two played great. Agbaji had a decent little game, 14 points. Uh, Walker Kessler you know, seven points, nine rebounds. They just did not get a lot of other scoring outside of those few guys. Meanwhile, for Miami, very balanced effort, seven guys with double figures, led by Jimmy Butler's 24 points, eight rebounds, four assists, not to mention four steals and two blocks, filling up the stat sheet there. Um, not a great shooting night for him, but he still got the points up, especially at the free throw line, 13 of 15 from the free throw line. Uh, very impressive there. 18 each for Tyler Hero and Gabe Vincent, starting at the guards. Uh, Kevin Love gets a start at power forward alongside Bam Adebayo, who had 16 points and nine rebounds. Uh, Oladipo and Caleb Martin had uh, at least 10 points each off the bench, and the Miami Heat get a win there. Again, me and Wyatt are a little bit biased. Of course, we'd like to see the Jazz win this one, but, uh, you know, again, good win for Miami. Um mm-hmm. Wyatt, let's talk that next game. Ooh, Grizzlies-Mavericks. You've got a good one here. Yes, Grizzlies-Mavericks, and it was a good one. Pretty tight game, at least in the first half. Uh, So this was in Dallas. Memphis traveled. And the first half was back and forth the entire game. Started out with the Dallas lead, then Memphis for a while, just back and forth, back and forth. And then other than the very beginning of the third quarter, Memphis led the entire rest of the game um, leading by as much as 21 early in the fourth. So that was a close game to start with. And then the Grizzlies sure ran away with it in the second half. Impressive shooting from the Grizzlies as a team. They shot almost 46% from the field, 32 and a half from three point land and then 84 from the free throw line. So, Good shooting for them. They had nine steals, which is, um, you know, three times as many as the Mavericks. So they did a good job there. And uh, let's go ahead and take a look at the personnel and who did what during this game. So for the Grizzlies, they still without John Morant, of course. And uh, as far as I have read, there's still no timeline on uh, when he will be back or when like he's even going to think about practicing and stuff again. Have you heard anything on that, Karsten? No, the only update we had yesterday was uh, over the weekend, he's entered a counseling program in Florida, but there yes. still is no update on the timetable. So, Okay, perfect. Just wanted to make sure my information was up to date. Yep. Okay, so that leaves Desmond Bain leading the the Grizzlies with 23 points, uh, seven assists, eight boards. And he had a pretty good night shooting almost 54% from the field and 37 and a half from three point land. Next we have, uh, Tyus Jones with 13 Dylan Brooks had 19. Uh, and then the, there were two other people in double digits, Santi Aldama and David Roddy's Santi with 10 and David Roddy with, with uh, 19. So good job for them. Uh, Dylan Brooks, he had three boards, five assists and two steals. So uh, some pretty solid defense, which we would expect from him. And then taking a look at, David Roddy, he was 
all over the place. He had one block, one steal, one assist, five rebounds, and even grabbed a couple of those boards were offensive. So, you know, it seems like very often when we're looking at the rebound stats, all of them are defensive. So great mm-hmm. job for him for grabbing a couple offensive boards and getting some second chance attempts. Yeah. And I just a quick side note, if if you don't mind. Um, no, not at all. So he's one of their, they have a couple of rookies on this roster and he's been lost in the shuffle a little bit. You know, they've had Aldama who's made a step up and, you know, Zaire Williams has been productive at moments, but Roddy, this is probably the best game we've seen from him up to this point in the season. So kudos to him, but I'll let you go ahead and keep going. Yeah, no, just a, just a comment on that. He shot three for five, 60% from the three point line. So yeah, great. Great game by David Roddy and was 72% from the field otherwise, or almost 73% from the field otherwise. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, like you said, great, great playing by him. Okay, jumping over to the Mavericks. Uh, they were led by Jaden Hardy, who had 28 points, uh, which is, you know, awesome night for him. He was, he had eight boards, three assists a steal and a block and then shot 33% from three, making five for 15. Uh, So a lot of attempts there. And then not a great, (laughs) not a great percentage from the field nine for 25, which is 36%, but you know, not terrible. Mm. Uh, And then he was followed by Josh green who had 23 points. Uh, He had, seven assists, five boards. Um, and he shot three for six, 50% from the three point line and 10 for 15 from the field. So 67% there. So great job for him. Other than that, uh, the points were pretty spread out for Dallas nine for McKinley, Wright. You know, Tim Hardaway and Reggie Bullock had five each and then nine for Justin holiday. So, Mostly, we saw Jaden Hardy and Josh Green lead the way. Uh, and, you know, it wasn't enough in the end. <laughs> they needed some more help. They need Luca. They need Kyrie. Yeah. Uh, of course, just a quick update on, on those two, Luca and Kyrie. Uh, they're out within, you know, these next game, next couple of games, just some more day-to-day type injuries. Uh, Kai Irving with the foot injury and Luca with that thigh issue. Um, again, they should be back relatively soon, more game to game type basis. But yeah, definitely tough for them to win without those two guys on the floor. Right. And Christian Wood, do you uh, do you know exactly when his he's maybe going to be making a return? Oh, well, that's a good question because I updated. We have our. Um, for those listening, we have our own collective, you know, injury report that I compile for us, you know, as podcast, the members of the podcast to be able to use and reference. Um, but I'm not seeing, I have Luca and Kyrie's, but I don't have Christian Wood. It's possible okay. that that's been within the last day or so. I can try and double Yeah, I, I just found some some info. So he he's just had some right foot soreness and is... So yeah, he didn't play yesterday, of course, and it's questionable for tomorrow. So oh, gotcha. he gets back in and can get some minutes for the for the Mavericks. Okay. Good to know. Yeah. Okay, I guess uh I'm yeah, good to go with our next you. game. Yeah, all right, mm-hmm. perfect. So this one's kind of a surprise and uh didn't know the specifics of the ending until just barely I was able to catch some of those last few minutes on YouTube. But this one was the Houston Rockets winning at home against the Boston Celtics of all teams. Um, it was funny to listen to, I don't know about funny, but the Rockets announcers, how hyped they were after the Celtics lost, and especially <laughs> the fashion in which they lost. You know, when your team is struggling and looking a lot towards the future, you know, you got to really enjoy those big wins when they come in the season, I suppose. Um, so yeah, no big win for Houston, uh, wearing the throwbacks, the San Diego throwbacks. So that was kind of fun. Um, back and forth through that first half, the Rockets took a pretty substantial lead through the uh, third and fourth quarters. Boston kind of, you know, got their act together towards the end, made it real close. 
Um, it was that back and forth free throw battle between the Rockets and the Celtics. Both teams missed some pretty substantial free throw attempts. It comes down to it. The Rockets have this lead, 111 to 109. Boston has the ball. Tatum drives and gets a pretty decent look at a free throw. Just a little bit coming in a bit too quick, a bit too strong off the glass, misses the layup. The Rockets crowd, the announcers go wild. The the Celtics end up losing this game to the Rockets. So Celtics had every chance to force overtime, just kind of some miscues late. Uh, and that was kind of the story for the game. Um, just maybe not as sharp as they would like to be or normally are. Um, for those Celtics, it was Jalen Brown who led the charge. He had 43 points along with five rebounds, uh, a steal and a block as well. His percentage is pretty solid all around, 64% from the floor, uh, four of 10 from three-point range for 40%. Uh, Tatum had a decent game alongside him, 22 points, eight rebounds, and six assists. Percentage is a struggle for Tatum there overall. Um, but then Malcolm Brogdon, a nice game off the bench, 20 points. Uh, three of five from three-point range as well. Those were the three double-figure scores for the Celtics. The Rockets, um, just a touch more balanced scoring as far as five guys scoring in double figures. Leading scorer being Jalen Green, as you'd expect. He had 28 points, seven rebounds. Uh, the percentages are about what you'd expect at this point with Jalen Green as well, uh, below 30% from both the floor and the three-point range. Um I feel rude saying that, but we've seen that a little bit often with Jalen Green. Um, but he did make 10 of 11 free throws, uh, shooting 91% there, so that was impressive. Jabari Smith Jr. starting at center in place of Alperen Shangoon. He had 24 points and 11 rebounds on some 80-plus uh, percentage uh, from free throw, uh, excuse me, from the field and from three-point range. He was 5 of 6 on three, so maybe one of his best games of his young career. Uh, 20 points as well for Kenyon Martin Jr., along with eight rebounds. And then 14 points, 13 assists for Kevin Porter Jr., their de facto point guard, if you will. So impressive win for the Rockets. Again, I like to see them do it in those throwbacks. Uh, most people don't know that the Rockets started in San Diego because the Houston location makes so much more sense with their name. But, um, <laughs> yeah, great win for them. Cool to see that. Um why? I'll send it back to you. This was a big one as well. Warriors and Suns. Yeah. So this was this was at the Warriors Stadium in San Francisco, and you're right. It it was a big game. Warriors and Suns are both uh, making themselves to be top teams in the in the West. Um, and as you know, close as you maybe would have expected this. Uh, game to be or maybe not with the with the Kevin Durant injury there were zero lead changes the Warriors led the entire time this was largely due to uh Clay Thompson's 33 point first half so wow <laughs> yeah and then he finishes the game with 38 points and I think that's just such a Clay Thompson thing to have these ridiculous scoring feats in a short amount of time, like a quarter or a half, and then just have a reasonable like game of scoring, you know, yeah. just so quiet the rest of the game. So yeah. yeah, that was that was uh the Warriors. We can we can go ahead and jump into what their <clears throat> other guys did. So Steph Curry, of course, had a great night with 23. Actually, let's jump back to Clay for a second. He was 8 for 14 from 3, uh, shooting yeah. 57% from the three-point line. So, you know, awesome for him. 61% from the field, otherwise 14 for 23. Uh, and then didn't shoot a lot of free throws, 2 for 5 there. Um, so, you know, not a great free throw percentage, <laughs> 2 for <laughs> 5, 40%. But, you know... When you put 33 points in the first half, I think you can be forgiven for that. Yeah. Uh, and then Steph Curry, you know, followed with 23 points, like I mentioned. He uh, also had seven boards, five assists. Uh, so putting in some work there. He shot five for six from the free throw line, four for six from three. So not a huge volume of three-point shots from him tonight. Relatively speaking, of course, six shots is... Uh, you know, a lot for a lot of other guys, but mm. only six tonight for 
for Steph, and then seven for 13 from the field. So pretty solid night for Steph, uh, but nothing crazy. Jordan Poole had 20. Uh, he had he dished out six assists tonight and shot 50%, four for eight from the three, eight for 16, also perfect 50% from the field. So way to make the numbers easy, Jordan Poole. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that is it for their double. Well, Dante DaVincio got 10 points, so he was also a double-digit scorer. Mm-hmm. Uh, but most of their scoring, of course, is concentrated in those big three offensive guys. Draymond Green had a few blocks and two steals on the defensive end. So uh, as we've seen with the Warriors, he kind of heads up the defense and really kind of pushes that while letting some of these three-pointing scoring like Splash Brothers really take care of the offensive end with now the mix of the uh, long-lost twin, maybe of Jordan Poole getting thrown <laughs> in the mix there. Maybe a nephew, who knows? Yeah, yeah, maybe a nephew. <laughs> that might be more accurate. Uh or like, yeah, yeah, we'll go with my few. All right, going with the Suns. So the Suns were led by Devin Booker. No surprise there. He had 32 points. He was 8 for 10 from the free throw line. Rough night from 3, 0 for 2. And then 12 for 20 from the from the field for him. Uh, he got a couple steals and then, and dished out an assist. So, you know, solid night for him. Not the... Not the shooting from the three-point line that we usually expect to see with with Booker, but you know he he's led them in scoring regardless. Aiton followed him with twenty-seven points. Uh, he had twelve rebounds, a, an assist, and a steal. He was shot almost seventy-eight or almost seventy, sorry, sixty-eight percent from the from the field, and then Chris Paul had 11 points he dished out 11 assists so <laughs> definitely getting the ball moving uh which is what we expect chris to do uh josh Akogi also had 11 points he was two for five from three and three for nine from the field so great night for him and other than that uh pretty spread out for for scoring uh, and nothing too exciting there on the the Suns end. Uh, and, you know, they played a solid game. They, of course, lost to the, to the Warriors and lost by, you know, 11 points. So it wasn't super close at the end, but, you know, really it was just that strong, strong start by Clay Thompson that kind of, Seems like it kept uh, the Suns out of the game. I think with the quieter half from Clay, then it would have been a lot closer game. And I would expect that future games between these two teams would would be really fun to watch. Not that this one wasn't. Right. No, I, I get you. And sometimes we see that with games, right? You, you have a guy that just gets hot right away and it sets the tone for the rest of the game. So that's right. certainly a fair point. Um yeah, just one quick side note with Chris Paul. Of course, he's still distributing the ball at a great rate, but despite his percentages apparently being one of some of the best of his career, he really has kind of disappeared, not disappeared, but he's really taken a step back as far as the scoring load for the Suns. Yeah. I mean, looking at this season, he's averaging not even 14 points a game, which I know. It's... <laughs> I, it's... It could be a non-factor. It could be a negative factor. I'm not sure, but it's something I just wanted to to comment on, I guess, real quick. Um, no, that's a good point. Yeah. Let's you jump to that. that. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to say, you'd think it with Kevin Durant being out currently that, you know, you kind of want Chris Paul to be able to step up and and fill some of those scoring needs for, for yeah. Phoenix, at least during this time. Yeah, that's a good point, especially with, you know, I mean, he's always been more a distributor than a scorer, but he's also always been pretty reliable as far as some steady points. And so for him to be putting up some lower point totals could be a negative factor. But yeah, definitely a great Mm -hmm. point. Um, 
with that, let's jump to that last game. This was uh, along with that Suns Warriors game, uh, the Grizzlies Mavericks. This is maybe the most notable, uh, if not for individual performance, then for uh, some theatrics at the end, if you will. Uh, the Milwaukee Bucks winning in Sacramento against the Kings, 133 to 124. Uh, and that was actually a comeback victory for the Bucks. The Kings held the biggest lead of the game in the second quarter, leading by as much as 15 points. Um, it looked like the Kings might run away with this and, you know, have another kind of surprise victory to go along with their surprise season. Uh, the Bucks bring it back <laughs> through the, the third quarter. They end up winning the game fairly handily at the end. Um, and things get a little bit testy at the end. Um, for the Kings, they were led by De'Aaron Fox and DeMondis Sabonis, um, par for the course there, 35 points, eight rebounds, and three assists for De'Aaron Fox, along with two steals. Great percentages all around, 56 from the floor, 42 from three-point range, and a pretty similar story for Sabonis as far as you know, seeing what he has done this season, 23 points, 17 rebounds and 15 assists for the very strong triple-double. Uh, 47% from the floor, 50% from three, shooting one of two. Meanwhile, Kevin Herter really added um, to the three-point effort here. Eight of 11 from three-point range at that starting shooting guard spot, scoring 28 points. They had 14 points from Harrison Barnes, the veteran. Uh, Keegan Murray, a low-scoring game. Uh, they only had the four guys in double figures. Meanwhile, for the Bucks, they just happen to have maybe one of the great players in the modern NBA, uh, one of the best players in the world right now, Giannis Antetokounmpo. He had 46 points, 12 rebounds, four assists. And mind you, this is coming off of missing a game or two with uh, that you know sore hand or you know lingering issues with that hand injury. In this game, he was 19 of 28 from the floor, uh, about 68%. Made both three-point attempts, which, you know, is just a backbreaker. It's one thing when Giannis <laughs> <laughs> one thing when Giannis is driving inside, getting layups, hooks, you know, maybe a little bit of a, a mid-range type shot. But when he hits two threes off, off the two that he attempts, you know, it's really hard to overcome that. Six of seven from the free throw line. Uh, great all-around game. Not I only that. Question Go for it, yeah. If you don't mind. I haven't actually watched, like, the Kings play this season, but I know you kind of like the Kings. Do they mm. run, like, do they rely on running the floor a lot, like the fast break buckets? Because I noticed in this game, it was pretty unbalanced. They had 19 fast break points compared to Milwaukee's seven. Is that typical, or was that an unusual game for them? Um, <clears throat> You know, I wish I could 100% you know, with certainty answer that question. But I would think based on what we've seen with some of our game reporting and, and the stats, especially with Sabonis racking up assists, I would imagine that's probably a decent part of their offense as far as, you know, Sabonis gets a board and looks to outlet. They push things up fairly quickly. And especially with some quick guards, you know, De'Aaron Fox, but also Davion Mitchell, Malik Monk off the bench. I would expect that's a big part of their game, especially – in comparison to a team like the Bucks, anchored by, you know, I mean, Giannis is still pretty young and athletic, but you have Brooke Lopez, uh, you know, Bobby Portis a little bit. Some they're, some of their guys are maybe a little bit slower. They're not speedsters, and they play a little right. bit more of a more half-court offense. So, and so that, Giannis is getting a ton of the boards and then also takes the ball up the floor instead of like a center getting the board and throwing it down. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I guess that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, that that would be my answer to that as far as how that goes. Um, so yeah, Giannis. It, and on, on that note, yeah, he dominated this game, but they also got a great effort from Chris Middleton, thirty-one points, nine assists, and most of those coming in the second half. Very impressive for him. Brooke Lopez added twenty-three points, eight rebounds, and three blocks, um, and he <clears throat> helped close the night out with some chippiness with uh, Trey Lyles. Um, so essentially what happens is Giannis is uh, dribbling out the clock. You know, the Bucks have secured the win. He dribbles close-ish to Trey Lyles. Um, sometimes we see this. I don't know if it's an intentional thing. You just happen to veer next to Trey Lyles. It was kind of an interesting situation. And so Trey Lyles kind of takes offense to it, uh, gives a little shove to Giannis. And then Brooke Lopez, who's 
maybe just a touch insane in the best of ways <clears throat> decides. And he's also a bit of an enforcer. He comes over, you know, shoves Trey Lyles back. They get into, you know, they're grabbing each other. And, and with Brooke Lopez, it's like reaching for the, the face and throat area almost of, of Trey Lyles to, to close us out. And, and he gets that look in his eye. You've seen it, right? Brooke Lopez or Robin <laughs> Lopez. They Murderous. look the murderous look is right. That's exactly how I describe mm-hmm. it. So, so kind of a uh, interesting end. You know, the Kings, of course, you can't deny that they're one of the best teams in the NBA this season. But you compare the Kings to the Bucks, and it's still not. There's still a gap there. The Kings have closed that gap to a degree, but the Bucks are still a superior team. And so to lose this game, especially when you had a great start, is probably tough for the Kings. They're wanting to, you know, not just be, oh, that feel-good story in a playoff team. They want to really solidify themselves as a, you know, high-caliber squad, which they are. So a tough loss. You can understand it getting chippy at the end. Um, But otherwise, Mm -hmm. you know, yeah, great win for Milwaukee. Giannis back on the board uh, after missing a couple games. Great to see. Um, Wyatt, we did kind of talk already at some of these games uh, on some different points and different thoughts we had. Um, I'll maybe get us started as far as some closing thoughts before we jump to our our key news um with detroit i think it's great for them to see james wiseman have that strong of a game like he did again it was 18 and 14 three blocks um i just worry about you know i've already i'm a broken record about how much i like jalen duran the rookie and his potential (laughs) and now he's off the bench he's still productive but now it's like he is he suddenly you know on the outside looking in as far as, you know, having the chance to be a starting center and develop that way. I don't know. I I'm kind of conflicted on that, but that's my, maybe my last takeaway. Did you have anything else you wanted to comment on with these games before we jump to our, our key news? No, I think I'm good. Okay. Nope. Fair enough. Let's go ahead and jump to our key news then. And we don't have a ton to talk about. Uh, the first thing that we'll make note of is we finally have, um, our first playoff clinching scenario or potential uh, that comes tonight. And that is with the league leading Milwaukee Bucks. They have the chance to clinch a playoff spot tonight. They're in Phoenix against the Suns. If they win or the New York Knicks lose, that will solidify the Milwaukee Bucks playoff uh, position. They'll, they'll not, not exactly the position, but that'll solidify their, their spot in the playoffs. Um, so that's cool to see. I mean, we really don't have any other updates as far as playoff clinching scenarios, but definitely expect within the next week or two to hear a lot more of that from us as far as teams having a chance to not just improve positioning, but actually lock things in 100% confirm, hey, we're going to the playoffs. Uh, so certain, certainly something to stay, uh, stay tuned for. Next, uh, some G League news regarding one of the top prospects in the draft, uh, so the G League Ignite are shutting down Scoot Henderson, quote unquote, shutting down Scoot Henderson for the remainder of the season. He's projected to be uh, likely the second pick in the upcoming draft. Um, and basically the the outlook for the league uh, as a whole, but the Ignite specifically and for Scoot Henderson is that the, the Ignite are not going to be a competitive. They're not likely to make the playoffs, the G League playoffs. And he's done enough this season to solidify his, draft position um, in a sense. So they're going to not risk him getting injured. They're going to let him, you know, sit out and just get ready for the draft. So that's what's going on with Scoot Henderson. <clears throat> Finally, we have some, uh, we have a bevy of transactions to report on nothing groundbreaking, but some things to take note of. Firstly, the York, New York Knicks, just a couple days after they signed Moses Brown to a two-way contract, they've now waived him. And they've signed guard Trevor Keels to fill that two-way contract spot. Now, Keels had actually been, I believe, on a normal contract, standard contract, no two-way situation. But then they've maybe converted him to a two-way. Kind of an interesting situation. But now Moses Brown is a free agent after having that deal for just a couple days. Kind of an interesting thing for the Knicks. Uh, For the Detroit Pistons, they have re-signed forward Eugene Omarui to a 10-day contract. Again, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Uh, And then finally, we have some guys that were 10-day contract type guys who are now getting uh, solid contracts for the remainder of the season. Uh, For the Milwaukee Bucks, Myers Leonard will 
have for the rest of this regular season. So congratulations to him. For the Utah Jazz, they're going to keep Chris Dunn on for the regular season. And I think I saw that it's actually a multi-year contract. Um, I imagine probably not not a huge part of their overall salary as far as a, a massive contract. But, you know, you liked what you saw out of them and these, you know, few short contracts. So a decent move for them. And then finally, for the Cleveland Cavaliers, they have re-signed guard Sam Merrill to a uh, standard contract to finish out the regular season. Um, of course, us as Jazz fans and Utah residents are like, oh, Sam Merrill, the Utah State guy. So um, cool to see there. But congratulations to those guys for getting those those deals. And and really, that's everything for our news. Why? I'm not sure if you have you know, any comments. I mean, those items are pretty cut and dry. But yeah, not really. I, I was just looking at the standings because, uh, you know, you mentioned the clinching spots at this point and i still just have to laugh at the the west i think like yesterday the lakers were 11th or 12th and now they're ninth today (laughs) and it's still like 9 through 12 are all have all won 33 games and basically have the same percentage yeah uh, win percentage so it's like just crazy how close the west is no, absolutely. And even, you know, eight and seven are still fairly close, just a couple wins separate separating those teams. It's yeah. It's been, you know, of course we've talked about it plenty throughout the season, but it will especially as we get to the end of the season, it's gonna be very interesting to see how that all shakes out. Yeah, uh, so absolutely. Yeah, definitely great to thank you for for you know reminding us of that exact situation. Um <laughs> With that, let's jump into our award chase conversation. And I chatted with Wyatt very briefly before we started about some loose ideas for this. Um, Of course, when I've done this Tuesday episode solo, we normally just talk about, okay, here's kind of who's in a favorable position to probably win these awards. Um, We'll do it a bit differently today. And now that we have Wyatt uh, on the show for, for Tuesday, what we'll do is we'll go through a couple of the awards and give our own opinions on who we think should win it. Maybe not who we think is going to win it, because that can be different. We'll talk about who would get our vote if we were one of the lucky few to be able to vote on these awards, one of those lucky media members. Um, Wyatt, we probably don't want to do a bunch of these. I mean, let's probably gloss over the Rookie of the Year conversation, because it still is kind of that one-horse race, right? We all expect right. Paolo Bancaro to win that. I mean, Matherin's had some moments, but Bancaro mm-hmm. should should win that, barring anything crazy um we can maybe um so let's maybe just talk about the four others the four main ones and let's also maybe gloss over coach of the year because i mean that one's that one's interesting but we'll talk we'll focus more on player awards uh for this little segment let's start with uh most improved player if you had the vote for most improved player this season who would you vote for yeah, in my totally unbiased opinion, it would be Larry Markinen. I was waiting for that. <laughs> <laughs> because, I mean, who knew his name really before he came to Utah? I mean, I I can't say that like no one did because I happen to know his name. But, um, I mean, his, he went from not really doing anything. Uh, I mean, being a solid player, but like... Mm-hmm. Nothing really uh, impressive. That might be harsh, but to being an all-star, you know, this year with the Jazz. And he's just been a phenomenal player for us. He came out and kind of led our team with Mike Conley to being a very solid team the first, you know, good chunk of the season maybe the first third of the season mm-hmm. and you know something that no one really expected no one expected the jazz to have any success this year so i think that he is very deserving of that award i would agree you know and and like he said you know kind of coyly said we we do have a maybe a touch of bias as far as we're both jazz fans and so we're maybe a little bit more in tune to what he's done but it's hard to say that he's not deserving even you know, you take that bias out. I mean, um, it's a fair point. He was a lottery type pick when he was drafted and traded on draft day to the the Bulls in the Zach Levine trade. 
Um, but he kind of got lost in the shuffle with both the Bulls and the Cavs last season. I mean, mm-hmm. like you said, he was a solid player. He had, you know, he was a stretch player, you know, with his height and his shooting ability, it was unique, but he didn't do a lot of exciting things. He wasn't really a, a building piece. He was kind of this tweener between, you know, someone who disappoints in the draft and someone who's obviously a building piece. He was somewhere in that middle area. It was kind of an awkward piece. He goes to Cleveland last year. Cleveland was a good team, but he's still somehow lost in that shuffle. And so, of course, us as people who follow, and of course, I'm sure most of the people who listen to the podcast who are in tune to the NBA, at least somewhat, you're going to know who Larry Markinen is. But as the common fan, you're likely not going to know who he is. You know the stars, you know LeBron and, and Steph Curry. You're not going to know who Larry Markinen is. Now there's a much greater chance you do. He's broken out mm-hmm. with Utah. He's there, you know, the star player now with the Jazz. Utah has gone from, you know, Utah as a collective probably would have said, who the heck is Larry Markinen, to now, oh, he's the best player on the Jazz right now. He's the new, you know, future of the franchise. So, yeah, great, great choice. I can't really argue against it. If I had to offer some counter players and maybe who I would vote for, even with my jazz bias, I would maybe vote for Shea Gilgis Alexander. His numbers mm-hmm. have dropped off a bit in the second half. Just a touch. Like he hasn't been, you know, 30 points a game, multiple steals, multiple blocks, like we'd seen a lot of the first half of the season. But he's still been great. And <clears throat> he's helping elevate the Thunder to potentially a play-in type appearance. Right. They're in that Western Conference mix. So he would be, you know, probably my 1A, Markin and my 1B. And then uh, Jalen Brunson would be a 2 for me. Okay. That's, I was expecting you to say Jalen Brunson, too, up in your, your mix. Yeah, I mean, like statistically, the numbers aren't always huge. And I think that that does have some impact as far as most improved. Um, but you know, as far as him leading that Knicks team to being a little bit better than you might have expected, I think he would be an easy, you know, second or third choice for that award. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so that's our most improved thoughts. What about six man? What are you thinking as far as six man of the year? Um, yeah, that's a, that's a good point. A uh, good question, I guess. I, I don't have like one person that stands out as being super strong. I know Westbrook is kind of a uh, leader, I guess, in this conversation. I might uh, lean toward a maybe like Malcolm Brogdon for the Celtics. Okay. Um, he might he might be someone who maybe is more of a competitor for my vote. I. They, I mean, the Celtics have been very successful this year, very solid team, and they have a very strong starting group. <clears throat> and it's it's nice that they have someone like Brogdon to rely on coming off the bench to hold on to, you know, the leads that the starters get and to kind of mix in with stars and still play at that uh, upper caliber level. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I think what really gives Brogdon a, an advantage compared to some of these other guys is the fact that he's been consistent. I don't know if he's Mm -hmm. missed really many games. He's consistently been bringing those points off the bench along with, you know, some floor general type things, the rebounds, the assists running the show with the second unit. So I think that's a solid pick as well. Right. He Um, has missed a little bit of time just recently, but overall is yeah. been really consistent. Oh yeah, a lot of one of the more consistent players probably this season, and mm-hmm. especially for the Celtics. Um, yeah, you know what you mentioned Westbrook. I was high on Westbrook when he was with the Lakers. As far as the six man choice, I think he's going to get impacted now that he's with the Clippers simply because he's now the starting point guard. Right. Yeah, that's how I felt. I was like, I I don't know if I can vote for him now because it's like <laughs> he's not even a six man anymore. Yeah, exactly. Well, and he might still technically qualify based on, you know, it's you have to have started less than a certain amount of games. He might still fit that criteria, but I think, you know, the starting position and maybe the, you know, what both those teams have done, he might not get that kind of vote. And so, Mm -hmm. 
Um, <clears throat> if I was to go with an intriguing pick, I was high on Norman Powell for a little bit as well, but he's missed time with injury. So um, the rookie Benedict Matherin, I think that would be a very interesting choice. I don't remember the last time, if there has been a time, that a rookie won sixth man of the year. Um, mm-hmm. I want to say there's been at least once that that's happened, but um, certainly not for the last while. So that would be a really intriguing pick. And he's had some great scoring runs. I don't know why he's continued to be a six man for the Pacers. Looking at that team with a lot of young players, I would kind of expect him to become that starting shooting guard. If, uh-huh. you know, with these great performances he's had, but he's continued to be a bench piece. And so that would be my pick. But again, hard to argue with Brogdon. Both of those guys, yeah. I think, would probably be some of your top picks. Um, yeah. And I'd throw in Jordan Poole as being a very solid choice, too. Yeah, Jordan Poole would also uh, you know, be a great choice. He started a lot with the Curry injuries, but uh, overall, he is a sixth man, and you know, was a was a great one at that. Yeah, he would probably be. You'll lump in like a top three, maybe no particular order. It's it's Brogdon, it's Poole, and Matherin would probably be your group at this point for six man. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, great great choice. Let's jump to defensive player of the year. This one's kind of tough to pick because more and more. I think they've put a lot more emphasis on like advanced stats, um, you know, defensive plus minus defensive win shares, things like that. And why it might be a little bit more in tune than I am. I am kind of old school as far as, Oh, he puts up a lot of blocks. He's a, he's a defensive player of the year, which is helpful, but it's also like a little bit of an old school style. Um, but why, who's your pick at this point for maybe a defensive player of the year? Um. Yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> I I don't know. You know, for the most of the season, or at least for earlier <clears throat> on, when I had looked at these these races, I kind of was leaning toward Brooke Lopez. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he's you know kind of got that murderous aura about him that we already discussed yeah but also like uh getting a lot of block he's averaging two and a half blocks per game you know on the best team in the east well league i should say uh as far as record goes you know he's just a great defender um but after Jackson, Jaron Jackson Jr.'s block on Embiid, you know, I started paying a little more attention to him. And, you know, then the Grizzlies, I expected them to tank after Morant uh, decided to take some time for himself. And, you know, they dropped quite a bit in my power rankings immediately after that happened. But then I had to raise them back up the following week because you know they've they've maintained their status as a pretty solid team and and uh, a lot of that is due to uh Jackson's defense averaging 3.2 blocks per game you know he's he's doing uh, a phenomenal job for the grizzlies and protecting the paint for them so he would he would maybe win out my vote i guess from lopez mm-hmm. yeah no i would Honestly, I'd say the same thing as far as, you know, Brooke Lopez has been consistently in the in the mix because of, you know, he's simply played more games. I mean, up to this point, Brooke Lopez not counting any games that have been played today. He's played 67 games of the season versus Jaron Jackson's 50. Uh, Jaron Jackson barely slipping into, you know, qualifying for, you know, league leading, you know, stats because – a lot of times you get caps, you don't get counted if you haven't played enough games. And so he kind of barely fits that that threshold. Um, but he'd probably get my vote too, even with those games missed as far as, yeah, even more blocks. He gets some steals as well. He's he's a little more versatile. You know, Brooke Lopez, yeah. Brooke Lopez is still impressive. He's had kind of, I was thinking about this today, he's had almost like multiple lives in the NBA. He started off with, <laughs> with the Nets as... He's a scoring big who's not a great defender, not a great rebounder. He just puts up points inside. And then with 
yeah, touch that yeah, one season with the Lakers and early with the Bucks. It's oh, he has new life as a stretch big. He can shoot threes along with his scoring. And now, much of you know the last four or five years with the Bucks in particular, it's been he's become a very stout inside presence, a defender outside of you know he's not really a scorer anymore or that he doesn't get a scoring emphasis he still stretches the floor but he gets that defensive you know play inside so he's kind of you know had a metamorphosis a few times in his nba career um but that being said you know he's improved his defense but he's still you know more traditional big as far as you know not ultra athletic um lateral quickness you know, probably better than most, but still, you know, you compare it to a Jaron Jackson Jr. His youth, his length, his athleticism makes him a lot more versatile. He's compiling more of those traditional stats, steals and blocks. And, you know, rebounding sometimes can sometimes have influence on this mix. It probably won't this season. Um, he's averaging just above six and a half rebounds a game, but you know, when you take that into consideration with the fact that most of the season he's played alongside Steven Adams, who's going to get some of those boards, uh, that kind of makes up for it in that sense. So, yeah, I would agree with Jaron Jackson uh, for that pick. Kind of a long-winded, winded, um, yeah, ditto on that. Um, let's talk about uh, the big one, MVP. We've jumped through a lot of different names on this one. This is probably the one we'll have the biggest, uh, biggest thoughts on. Who's your pick? If you were voting, you had to, you know, your say alone on MVP, not who you think will win, but who you would vote for, who would be your pick? Yeah. Um, for a long time this season, it was kind of an easy Jokic for me. Mm. Um, but Giannis was always there, uh, you know, as being a potential vote as well, because I mean, who can argue with what Giannis does uh, night in, night out? Mm -hmm. So I'd say those two were by far my main contenders. And I was, uh, you know, debating those pretty heavily. But Embiid is really showing up. The Sixers in general are really putting in the work lately and uh, advancing in the East. And I think Embiid could be a very uh, likely winner as far as getting my vote before the end of the year, if they keep their current trajectory. Mm -hmm. So uh, <clears throat> I guess I, I haven't really given you my vote. <laughs> <laughs> I would say based on the last two weeks alone, I would probably have to say Embiid. But maybe as far as the whole season so far, for the consistency and, uh, you know, his triple-double uh, achieving capabilities this year, I would probably go with Jokic right now. Okay. Uh, but yeah, Giannis and, and uh, Embiid are definitely complicating that decision for me. Yeah. Well, and it's been a lot closer of a race than we've seen in, in some past years as far as, you know, even outside of those names you've talked about, Jokic, Giannis, and Embiid. There's still names like Jason Tatum and uh, Luka Doncic that get votes from some people based on either best individual player stats or, you know, the Celtics still are one of the best teams and Tatum's been – their best player um mm -hmm. you could even you might even get some people saying a player like a donovan mitchell could be in that mix or a damian lillard um for me you know i think that Jokic maybe has the best chance of winning it as far as you know who what the media is focused on I'm not saying it's wrong i think it's probably perfectly valid for Jokic to be that front runner and and you said that's your pick right Jokic would be your pick for the whole season yeah um, I'm going to go with Embiid for my pick and, you know, you could cry that this is a recency bias and maybe it is a touch, but also, you know, it's not like it's out of nowhere. He's been incredible all season and <clears throat> really the last few seasons he's been stellar this season. He's currently leading the league in scoring average. So that's where it starts. He's really leading the Sixers in scoring. He's leading the league in scoring you know, putting up points 
and he's versatile scoring. Of course, he's he's a great post up big, one of the best in the modern NBA. Um, you know, shooting above fifty three percent inside, that's very good. Um, but he also can still stretch the floor, and you know, thirty five percent from three for a guy like him who especially scores inside so much, very impressive. Um, he gets to the line a ton, you know, about as much as Luca or Giannis. He's shooting about 12 free throws a game, making 10 of them 85% from the free throw line. His scoring is unbelievable. You add with that still a stout rebounding presence, one of the, you know, top uh, 10 rebounders, rebounding averages in the NBA this season, uh, ninth right now, just ahead of Evita Zubats. You add in the assists, I mean, four assists a game, certainly not uh, Jokic levels, but still you know, good at distributing the ball for that center spot. And then top it off the defense, one and a half blocks a game, one steal a game. He's doing everything on the floor for the Sixers. He has a great co-star, mind you, with Harden, who's really elevated his play this season. But Embiid is a driving force for that team. As we've mentioned, they're, you know, a top team in the East. They're just barely behind the Celtics uh, for that second spot. I would give it to Embiid, honestly. And again, it, it's... Yeah. He was our MVP for this last week, but also looking at the numbers, what he's done and kind of like, you know, you got to, he's got to get it at some point. He's been the runner up the last couple of years. He would be my pick this season, but I don't know. Yeah. Very, very fair pick. I I agree. He's been phenomenal. Yeah. But honestly, yeah. Jokic and Embiid are probably your front runners as they have been the last couple of seasons. Yeah. the last couple that Jokic has won it. And so it's kind of interesting how as we're getting to the end of the season, things are working out as they have the last couple of seasons. <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> I know. kind of interesting, but um, yeah, I guess that takes care of our little, not impromptu, but semi impromptu little, you know, award race conversation. Uh, any closing thoughts on any of those? Did you want to give any thoughts on coach of the year before we wrap things up? Uh, I don't really have any thoughts on it, honestly. Yep. Fair enough. I mean, I if I was to give <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> if I was to give one quick little endorsement, I'd probably say Mike Brown would be my pick, just based on you know the world of difference that that Kings team has been from the last ten plus years. But uh-huh. um, yeah, I don't really have a, a depth of of commentary on Coach of the Year. So, um, I guess that that takes care of that. Let's jump to our. Uh, this day in history fact before we wrap things up for you. Uh, so this day in history, we're going back to 1954. We're going a ways back for this one. Uh, March 14th of 1954, Baltimore dropped a 50, 65 to 54 decision at Milwaukee. That's the Milwaukee Hawks, mind you, that would later become the Atlanta Hawks, giving the Bullets their 20th consecutive road loss for the season and making them the only team in NBA history to go an entire season without winning a game on the road. There's a lot to digest there. And to top it off, keep in mind that this Baltimore Bullets team is not the team that eventually became the Washington Wizards. This was the first iteration of the Bullets. The second iteration of the Bullets came after the expansion team known as the Chicago Packers uh, that first season. The second season, they were the Chicago Zephyrs. They moved to Baltimore, became the new Bullets, and it's that team that has eventually transformed into the Washington Wizards. So there's a lot to unpack with that one. Hopefully that's not an overload, but had to add that because to go a whole season, you couldn't win one game on the road. <laughs> no. That's just abysmal. <laughs> and you lose to the Milwaukee Hawks, which who did they even have? Um, I got to look that up now. <laughs> 1954 Milwaukee Hawks. They were 21 and 51. And um, I got to be honest, I couldn't tell you any of these guys outside of Max Zaslowski, who was a one time All Star a couple of years prior to that team. So, like, that's Mm -hmm. it. They had, like, basically no one. And you couldn't win one game. I mean, who's on this Bullets team now that we're thinking about it? (laughs) And that's why the Bullets don't exist anymore. (laughs) I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I mean, sort of. I'm I'm, I'm kind of with you there. Oh, they had 
Oh, they had Max Zaslowski too. Was that a midseason trade between those two teams? Wow. They also had Ray Felix. So they really had some world beaters right here. <laughs> Anyways, that's I guess that's enough of our really archaic NBA history for you. Um, but that being said, uh, thank you all for listening. Uh, if you want to check out the Instagram page where we post content from the show and also do our best to share content from across the NBA, that's crossover across time. That's all one word on Instagram. Uh, definitely check that out along with listening to the show. Uh, why I'll let you have the last word before we wrap this up. Any closing thoughts? Uh, thank you again to the listeners and we always enjoy getting together and talking about some basketball with you. Hopefully you enjoy it too. And, you know, watch some basketball this week. Enjoy the, the talents that we have in our day. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. It's a good point. Thinking about these fifties players, it's we're, we're pretty spoiled to be able to see some of these talented players in the modern NBA. So yeah, great point. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I, I, you know, I want to second that. Thank you all for listening. Enjoy this rest of the week. We'll be back on tomorrow's show. Uh, Hopefully with Justin, we'll have to see what his schedule is like. It's been a little bit hectic these last couple of weeks, but we'll be back with the game summaries, key news, and we'll dive a little bit more deeply into our playoff previews as well as our weekly predictions. So stay tuned for that, and we'll be back with you on tomorrow's show.